I've seen this arc that happens in this journey of faith, all right? If you didn't grow up in the church, I don't know how many people grew up in the church, how many people kind of grew up doing this, but what we do is kind of weird. Am I right? Like if you were first time here or you were the, you take yourself to the first time you're here, you see people standing up, they're singing to this back wall about this person, Jesus, right? Some people are raising their hands, some are not. It's just kind of a strange thing, right? And then you might have actually came on communion day where you're like, okay, they're eating this bread, you're drinking this wine, what is going on, right? And then you become a, a fresh new Christian. Maybe you give your life to the Lord and all of a sudden you're the person who's raising your hands and you're now the weirdo and that's okay, right? And you're, you're, you're full of excitement, you're full of anticipation and then... There's also this journey, and I just hope that we can, uh, we can talk about this, but sometimes, and not all the times, but if you've been following for a while, you can begin to go through the motions. You can begin to just come and go through the, mo- the motions. Sometimes in seasons when things get hard or things get difficult, you're here, but there's not a depth or a sense of mission in your life. It begins to disappear. I get a lot of nodding heads here, all right? Now, in this room, we have people across the board. I guarantee that even in a room this size, there are some people that are just trying to figure this thing out or they're not even sure why they want to be here. Someone dragged them here, okay? There's also people that are fresh and new and are trying to figure this out. There's also some of us that the older we get, the colder we can get, right? And we can begin to go through the motions. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. There is one thing that helps all of us who are going through whatever that is. And that's to have a deep understanding of the why of what we do, okay? Because I believe many of us come to church to be inspired. That's kind of fine, okay? You come and you want to feel something, right? Uh, Some of us come to be entertained. I think I've pretty much wiped those people out of this church because we're not here to entertain. We are here to be family, right? Some of us, though are here because we need the endurance to live on our faith. When I say some of us, I mean all of us, right? We need endurance to live out our faith. And so we want to have endurance. So if we are on the highest mountain, you are feeling the same as when you are at the lowest valley, okay? This is the goal. No matter where you are at in life, if there is a richness and a depth to our faith, then if you're in the highest mountain spiritually or the lowest valley spiritually, you come with depth and richness to your faith, okay? This is how it was always meant to be. One of the challenges is in modern day 2023, American church in particular, it is what have you done for me lately? We're going to see scripturally that is not how this was meant to be, okay? Who's with me? Because there's a depth. I really need you guys today, all right? Mark 14. We're going to take a deep look at the why of communion, okay? I've traveled a lot of places, Um, I've done communion a lot of different ways. When I was a kid, I don't know if you had this, a lot of people grew up differently than me, but when when I was a kid, I I grew up with the pastor wearing a robe, as old school style, okay? And and, and communion was once a month, it was very formal. You came up and the ushers led you out of your seats, all right? And you came up and you had to take the bread and you had to dip the bread, you had to eat the bread, and then you kneeled down in front of the altar and you were like just just put together and you had to pray. As a kid, I didn't really know what to pray, right? And, but that's how I experienced communion. Now, I traveled a lot of places and there's been several places where you do the same thing, but you come up 
and you, receive, you take the bread and you drink the wine, but you drink the wine. Have you ever done this? Have you done it where you drink the wine, all right? And the priest or the pastor has simply a napkin, a dry napkin, and they wipe it as if that's doing anything, all right? And when you're coming, you're coming up for remembrance, and you're coming up trusting Jesus that you're not getting the norovirus while you take the bread and the wine, am I right? I just, that's, it's happened a lot for me as a germaphobe. And then I started going to non-denominational churches. I was, when I was really saved in college, I started going to a non-denominational church. And non-denominational churches, they have this evil thing called these little communion packets. Am I right? Everyone stresses out about these communion packets. When Mark was leading communion last week, I, I kid you not, Diego, our youth director, leans into me, and he's like, I can't get it open. I can't get it open. And he's, he's gnawing on it. I can't get mine open. I have it in my teeth trying to rip it open. We're worried about spreading the juice all over Mark as he's speaking, and we're trying to get into this. This thing is harder to get into than Fort Knox. Here's what we're starting, all right? We are going to start a new ministry where we are going to, or a new fundraising campaign to get the best version of these, whatever this is, all right? No more of Diego and I struggling, am I right? All right, I got some cheers over here. It's a real thing. I, I have to have help too, Mama, don't worry. But I want to say this. We have to, my goal is with communion. We're going to go deep, deep in communion. I want it to be in this church a place of depth and reverence where we fully understand the full power of communion because we can take it lightly, and it was never meant to be taken lightly, all right? So Mark 14, let's jump in. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciple asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a a jar of water will meet you, follow him. Say to the owner of the house he he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, to fully understand the pa- to, to fully understand communion, you have to understand the Passover. Okay, we're going to go in depth on the Passover because this is the setting. And it's not a coincidence that Passover is the setting. Jesus has this plan. This is a moment that is supposed to happen during Passover. And we see that Jesus has an understanding. He knows what is about to happen. He's aware of what's about to go down. And it is so important for him to have a meal in the middle of this. And not just any meal, but the Passover meal. It's so important to him that he made sure that he had provisions for a place for them to meet, okay? Now, this is a final meal with his disciples that he's planning, but it's not just a meal. It says here it's the festival of unleavened bread. Now, feasts and festivals are vitally important to the Jewish community. In their calendar, there are these regularly occurring events that happen, okay, with the purpose that people would pause, reflect, and recognize God's work and presence with his people. They were celebrations of God's provision and God's protection, all right? This was the calendar that was regular. 
each of the, of the major Israelite feasts recognize a specific aspect or story of God's saving work. This is built into the Jewish community. And meals and feasts were part of the festival. festival. Now, Passover was not just one meal of many. This was the meal. It's the chief meal amongst it, amongst the historical annual festivals. It's a big deal. So Passover, we have to have an understanding at a baseline of what it is. I'm sorry, many of you know this, but I want to make sure that we are all on the same page because we are going to be taking communion together. And so we all have to be together in this, all right? So Passover was where the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and God wanted to set them free through Moses. And so the Lord brought plagues upon the Egyptians with increasing severity to get Pharaoh to release his people. And so the 10th and final plague was the death of all firstborn. This was human and animals. This was a big deal. So throughout Egypt, God punished Egypt, the Egyptians, but spared the firstborn of Israel as long as they did exactly what Moses had instructed them to do, okay? As long as they properly followed Moses' instructions. So on the night of the plague, they were to stay in their home. They were to slaughter a lamb. They were to place blood on the doorpost. Everyone, most of you know this, right? The Egyptians did not have a history of putting blood on doorposts so that they would know which one were Israelites' home, right? They were to eat the lamb quickly. And then they were also supposed to dress ready to travel, okay? They were supposed to be ready to depart Egypt at a moment's notice. And we see that Moses gives these instructions and that at midnight it strikes, all right? And, the, and Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron into the, in the middle of the night and told them that they need to get out. And so the Israelites, they book it. They're like, we are out of here, okay? This is freedom that's happening. And they didn't have enough time even to let the dough rise on their bread. And so we see that they had to bake unleavened cakes because they had no time to prepare. Okay, this is the story in short. I didn't want to go too far into it, but this is the story. Now, here's the thing. From generation to generation to generation to generation, the Israelites were instructed to observe Passover. Every year they were to observe it because this celebration was so important because it's a celebration of liberation, okay? It's a celebration of deliverance. It's a celebration of one of the most important characteristics of God. He is deliverer. God is deliverer. Now, let me say this. I want to really make sure that we know this. Outside of this, these walls, many people are walking around with no feeling that they need deliverance. And as a Christian community, we don't talk enough about the need for deliverance. We don't talk enough about God's characteristic of God as deliverer. But the Jewish people would have understand this. Because throughout the Hebrew scriptures, he is described as deliverer. God as deliverer. And each time he's described this way... There's a different meaning, but it's the same thing. I'm going to throw some some words up there on how the word deliver is used in the Hebrew text. To set free, to give over, to draw out, to save, to let cause or escape, 
to recover, to rescue, to make useless or without effect, to bring forth. Okay, why am I sharing all these words? Because Passover is a celebration as God as liberator and God as deliverer. And all of these terms would have been in the Jewish mind as they are taking the Passover, right? So when celebrating the Passover, the disciples are thinking about this as God, as liberator, and God as deliverer, all right? Now, point number two. Passover was meant to happen within family circles. And so we've seen this throughout Mark. The disciples, there is a closeness to the disciples. There's a closeness to one another, and there's a closeness to God, they have, or to Jesus. They have been walking alongside him, right? And so it's so important to Jesus that he prepares a place for them in advance, all right? They know that they have to do this. Now note, Jesus prepares the room, but he does not prepare the stuff. It says that the disciples had to get the provision. They were busy getting the unleavened bread. They were getting the bitter herbs. They were getting the wine, the lamb, etc. There's a whole thing. If you want to talk more about it, go see Rabbi Brent because he's got the whole list because we've done Passover together. All the stuff that you're needed for the Passover meal. Now, if you've ever cooked or hosted. If you know one thing, I have very little skill set in general. I don't do like the building campaign. Everyone else is doing it. I'm just there for encouragement. I also don't know how to cook. I literally every day ate eggs and egos and macaroni and cheese for four years in college. It wasn't until I married Meg that I ate a vegetable, all right? I am not a cook. I don't know how to prepare. I don't know what to do, all right? But I have seen people that do it. And if you've ever seen, if you've never had a Passover meal, or you've ever been to a Passover meal, or you've ever had to cook one, or you just think Thanksgiving, there is a lot of stuff that's going on. I think Thanksgiving's amazing. There's a ton of anticipation in Thanksgiving, but then you see everyone just arguing, right? And so you probably see that the, the, the disciples were had a level of stress, exhaustion, and annoyance at the same time as excitement, right? So just think about what's going on. All the human side of preparing a meal is happening for the disciples. All right? So they have this mindset. They're busy getting stuff done. And then the night comes. And it's right before Jesus is heading to get crucified. Where he's heading to die for you and me and the family. The disciples are together. They're reclining like Liz said. They're in a communion posture, all right? They are enjoying one another. And then this happens, Mark 14, 17 through 20. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. In the course of the meal, they go from family and reclining and enjoying to this bombshell. Hollywood cannot write better scripts than this. This is powerful stuff. 
Betrayal is going to happen. Now, the disciples would have been totally prepared for betrayal. They were ready for the religious authorities. Jesus had been telling him what was going to go down, but he would, they were not expecting at the table one of them who they had been walking with was going to betray them. So obviously, it's a little distressing. And one by one, they're like, yo, it's not me, all right? Don't, this question is not a real question. It's not a self-reflection question. It is a question to say, this ain't me, all right? And so one by one, they're going around the room and they're saying, this is not it. This is not me. So keep in mind, God is deliverer, is the celebration, intimacy of family sitting around the table, and there's betrayal that is happening. This is the setting that the Lord's Supper happens, all right? This is the setting of where this is all going to happen. The roots are so important that we unpack because Jesus is going to embody the profound essence of the Passover story through himself. That's what he's doing. He's taking the time and space to be with his disciples, and he's going to show, just like the Exodus story, that the cross is the significance, all right? He's going to show the true significance of the cross. He's showing this, what deliverance and liberation is all about. He's going to show what true deliverance and liberation is all about. When we take communion, that's what we're celebrating. 1422, and they were eating. He took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Now, Jesus is going to take two roles when he's, he's there, okay? He's going to be both host and he's going to be sacrifice. Do you see that? He's going to be both host and sacrifice. He's taking this meal, and it's a very complex meal. There's exodus stuff happening throughout this meal. Each piece of the meal shows some part of the Exodus story. And he's going to say, I am host, but I'm also sacrificed. So he's going to, as Roll's host, he's going to take the bread and he's going to bless it. God, king of the world. He's going to say something like that, who brings forth the bread that we're about to eat and he's going to bless it. And then he's going to follow up that blessing. He's going to give each one of his disciples a piece of the bread and he's going to show them what sacrifice is all about. He's going to identify it to his own body. He says, take, this is my body. Now, the word body that he uses here is the word soma, okay? The word soma. So what he's saying is, I'm giving my whole person, I'm giving my whole self. Jesus is sharing himself with the disciples. He's establishing a covenant within his person. Do we understand that, okay? Within his person, he's establishing, the, uh, establishing a covenant. Again, Jesus is taking the Passover story, and he's saying, this is the story, and this is what the cross looks like. He's inviting people, the disciples into his presence, and when we take communion, we are doing the same thing. The bread symbolizes Jesus' whole self. It's a sign of the new exodus, a new liberation story is taking place. You are delivered because of Christ's body. And then he does the same thing with wine, Mark 14. And he took a cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which he poured out for many. 
Right? What's going on? He gives thanks and he shows the sacrifice. And he uses this line, my blood of the covenant. What's going on here? Okay, God, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, has shown plans of how he's going to reveal his saving work. And he does it through covenants. His ultimate goal, God's ultimate goal, was to establish communion with his people. And so Jesus is saying this is a symbol of a new covenant, a final covenant that's fulfilling God's rule, okay? That he would have eternal communion with his people. Now, covenants and promises throughout the Hebrew Scriptures are found, okay? We know in Genesis, right? In Genesis, you have the, the covenant with Adam, you have the covenant with uh, Abraham, and the covenant with Noah. You have a covenant with David, and you have a covenant with Moses. And so in the Exodus, the Lord delivers Israel from the, Egypt, from the Egyptians, and he renews a covenant with Moses on Sinai. Now, there's many parts of the Hebrew Scripture, but covenant is, mo- is oftentimes marked with blood, all right, with lifeblood. And he's saying the body is a sign of the whole self, but blood signifies life. And so you look at this. It's a weird concept in 2023, but we got to look at it. Exodus 24, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went out, went and told, all the, uh, told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one boy, voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as a fellowship fellowship offering to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bulls and the other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to these words. God has made a covenant. He's ready to confirm the covenant. And, they, and here they sprinkled blood as a legal transaction between God and the people. Me, Moses sprinkles blood on the people, no matter how weird that is, to assure that they have participation in the covenant. Now, here's the reason. Here's the reason it's important. Jesus' blood is poured out in a violent death, and it's assurance that you are now in the new covenant. This is huge. You are under a new covenant. He's saying, this is my lifeblood, is what he's saying. When he says, this is my blood, he's saying, this is my lifeblood, a sign of a new covenant. You are now under grace. He says, this is my body, my soma, my whole self, and this is my lifeblood. And it's a new relationship of grace, Mark 14, 25, because he goes on. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink in in it new in the kingdom of God. Whenever you see the word until, it's a promissory note of hope, okay? 
It promises to you. The celebration of the Jewish Passover looked two directions. Uh, both of it, okay? It looked back at the story of Passover, but it also looked at the future of a future liberation that was about to happen. And Jesus is saying, I am that liberation. I am that deliverance. And the word until is this, that no matter what we go through, no matter what suffering Jesus went through, no matter what suffering his disciples went through, no matter what suffering and pain you go through, and it's always in the light of a future feasting in the kingdom of God, all right? So we see it on both sides, all right? When we take communion, we're both looking at the past of what Jesus did for us and a future hope of the feast that we will have in the kingdom of God. This is what's happening. Jesus is showing the sacrifice of the Christ on the cross. And he's saying the Lord's Supper is both a remembrance of the forgiveness of our sins, but also a future hope. That we'll be feasting, all right? All right, I want to I keep going here. Sorry, no, this is depth teaching, but I need us to all be on the same page. Because this is the most important part of this. In Mark, it's the shortest passage of all four Gospels around, around this. But in Luke, we see an important line, and we see it a couple other places. Luke 22, 19 says, do this in remembrance of me. You know, I find it interesting. He's saying this to the disciples. The disciples have seen all of his miracles. They are going to witness him dying. They are going to witness his resurrected body, right? These are the people that should get it more than anyone. And he says, do this as we see they did, okay? He says, do this in remembrance of me. And we see that they did. Obviously, it got passed down from generation to generation to generation that we are now doing it as well. It's, it's clear that it's a tradition. A matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, this is how you do this, okay? So it's clear that they were doing this in remembrance. Now, I, I want to say this because this is so important. We as humans have a tendency to forget. One of the greatest challenges that we have in this generation is the ability to forget. I forget things all the time. My mentor helped me with this. He said, whenever you are feeling that level of angst or you're feeling that level of worry or you're feeling that level of uncertainty about the future, he says, you have to remember how God has always come through for you and how he's always provided for you. You have to remember all those things because the mind can be a tricky thing. This is a human condition thing. I want to show the depth and the richness of what is happening on the communion because we can come and we can just go through the motions. But he's saying, I need you to do this for remembrance. It's why everyone, I need to say this so I get so worked up. You cannot just go out and have a personal relationship with Christ and not be plugged into a Christian community. You will not remember the things that the Lord has done for you. He's setting this up and he's saying, even you disciples, you've seen me. You will see me die. You will see my resurrected body. And I need you to do this in remembrance of me. It's a human con condition. Deuteronomy 6. We see this. 
he says this to the, the generation that was pulled out of slavery. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Church, how, how are we doing on impressing it on our children? Seriously. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. How often are we talking about these things? How often are we talking about these things as we're along the road? When you lie down, when you get up, tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gate. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful, be careful, church, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this new covenant language is the same. Take my bread as a symbol. Take this cup as a symbol. So you and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation will not forget. Do this in remembrance of me. This is why we do communion. This is why we pass it on from generation to generation to generation. The disciples had their own anxieties and their own worries. They were probably tired and they were exhausted. They were probably confused about the future. All of us can relate to that, right? And they were united around this idea of communion, taking it together and remembering that the ultimate sacrifice, that Jesus is your deliverer and your liberator. Jesus is instituting a new meal for his people to remember your salvation. Through Jesus, you have, a sal- you have salvation by God's grace. The exodus from Egypt was a defining moment of salvation for the people of Israel, right? And now you take communion to celebrate the arrival of the new covenant. I'm going to have you guys stand. It's uh, we're gonna we're gonna do communion a little bit differently today. Uh, I'm gonna have uh, Liz and John and Mark and Patty. Do you mind going up to the tables? We're gonna go old school like I used to. We're gonna go movement, and we're going to take communion together. The truth is that communion unifies us together. Okay. But it reminds us of our liberation and our deliverance. But it also gives us a hope of the future that he's going to return. And one of the things I was a little bit afraid of is that communion gets to like we, intimate, we do it once a month. But we can just go through the motions. Does it feel like that sometimes? And we can forget that, this, that Christ's body was broken for you. And that his blood was poured out for you. 
And this is an institution for us to remember, to remember, to remember. Just like Passover, the Lord knew that the Israelites had to celebrate Passover so they would never forget that God is deliverer and he's liberator. And here he's saying, I need you to take communion to remember that you were delivered from your sins. That Christ's body and his blood was poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So I'm going to invite the band up. And we're going to figure out the logistics here because I know it's hard in the room. It'll be easier for the lobby. But I want each person, we're going to sing, and you can join with us as we sing, but spend a little bit of time in personal prayer, preparing your hearts, thanking Jesus as deliverer and liberator. And then I'm going to have you come up, and we have elder families that are there, and they're going to give you the bread, and you're going to dip it in the juice, and you're going to take it, together and you walk back to your seat and join in worship but let this be a moment because communion was always meant to be a sacred moment and I don't want us just going through the motion I love that we sing that song I don't want us going through the motion I want us to spend time remembering Jesus as deliverer and Jesus as liberator thank you Lord we thank you that on that cross, while we were still sinners, you died for us. And your body was broken and your blood was poured out as a new covenant that we are now under grace. And Lord, that we are free from our sins. And we now walk in that freedom. So as we partake in communion, Lord, Help us to remember that you are our deliverer and our liberator, that we are free in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When you feel ready, come take communion.